0: Heads up, everybody, Uh, about 40 minutes in to this phone call, there's a conversation about sexual assault, suicidal ideation. It's not the primary focus of the episode, but it, it comes up sort of suddenly. So just want everybody to keep that in mind before you listen. Hello to everybody learning about life from the Disney Channel. It's Beautiful Anonymous, one hour, one phone call. No names, no holds barred.
1: I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you. And you'll get to know me.
0: Hi, everybody. Chris Gethard here. And I'm so excited to, to welcome you to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. First thing I want to say is that I've mentioned it over the years. I don't push it too hard but we've got the facebook community it's called beautiful anonymous the community people get together discuss episodes there that's pretty much it i just want to say everybody who listened to our episode last week talking about the experience with our friend who was the tree feller in the logging industry taking out trees he talked about breaking his legs cutting off toes and all this the discussion surrounding it was so fascinating because first of all To everyone in that Facebook conversation, there were people expressing concerns and expressing misgivings, but doing it in a way that you don't see on the internet anymore. And man, it brought me back to a time of feeling good about the internet. But there were people saying things about how it sounds like an industry that exploits workers, and it sounds like maybe the caller has been exploited in a way that's concerning There's other people saying they had no idea about loggers. There's people saying they grew up in Montana and knew tons of people like him. There there were people who very respectfully expressed the idea that maybe the caller was disparaging towards millennials and their work ethic, and, and maybe millennials actually just don't want to work in jobs where their toes get cut off anymore, and they have to go back to work. It's a great conversation. Thanks to everybody for having it. Before I tell you about this week's episode, I do want to say... I'm going to Montana for the first time. I'll be in Bozeman on February 3rd, Missoula on February 4th, doing stand-up in both. Those shows are almost sold out, chrisgeth.com for tickets. I'd love to meet you during my first time in Montana, and maybe I'll meet my lager friend in one of those cities. This week's episode, really great. I don't even know how to describe it. This call has a lot of things that come up from different directions. They all tie into our caller, whose experience as an immigrant ties right into her experience navigating the American medical industry, which ties right into her experience in becoming a social worker. These things are all sort of separate, but they all fold in together. The way she was raised was very unique by unique people who also had unique opinions and and judgments of certain th- It's just a, a call from someone who I think we'll all agree, fascinating. Hard to explain succinctly, except to say that I have a feeling I will not be the only person who feels like this caller deserves an easy stretch in life and is also quite inspiring in a number of ways. Enjoy the call, everybody. Thank
1: you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. Hello. How you doing? Hey, um, I am good. How are you doing, Chris?
0: I'm good. I just came in from playing in the snow with my son. It's the first snow we've had oh. all year where it actually stuck in any way. It's going to be gone in a couple okay. hours because it's going to rain. But I managed to get out there in the middle of a work day with him for like half an hour, 40 minutes. Oh.
1: I love that so much and um, yeah it's like really rainy where I'm at and super gloomy and grey but it sounds like you had a good time and there was like elements of joy that were a part of your day today
0: Indeed, we threw some snowballs, we made some snow angels, I showed him how to spell his name in the snow, it was pretty classic
1: Oh oh my gosh I love that so much Um,
0: How are you?
1: I never, yeah Go, I'm Okay, I will get into that soon. But I also just wanted to reflect on something you just said. Um, I never grew up around snow. So the first time I saw snow was when I was 18. And I still am yet to like make snow angels or like really play in the snow. So I hope I get to do that at some point.
0: You gotta do it. It's so fun.
1: Yeah. You gotta. (laughs) Have you ever been sledding? No, I haven't. But that sounds like so fun, especially like if there are dogs involved.
0: Listen, much love to people who (laughs) grew up in warm weather areas. Like if you grew up in Hawaii or San Diego or something, I'm jealous. Mm -hmm. I think that's lots of fun. But sledding might be the ultimate childhood activity. Sledding is one of the last things. Okay. It was always fun as a kid. And it's kind of one of the last things left where all parents are (laughs) just sort of like, screw it, go nuts let it be mayhem and chaos. Let's go big.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I definitely have to try it. I, I grew up in India, so super hot, no snow, at least like where I was at. Um, so, um, yeah, so definitely something on my bucket list.
0: Wow. That's cool. I feel like there's probably all sorts of stuff going on in India and the culture of growing up there. That's the ultimate childhood stuff that I don't know about
1: yeah <laughs> that's true i mean like i did get to do a lot of really cool things like um okay i don't want to go into the stereotypes, but this is a really cool thing that i did get to do was um you know ride an elephant when i was really young i don't know how i feel about the ethics of it anymore but um i enjoyed it at the time
0: okay okay That's fair. I think that's a fair and and balanced way to view your time riding an elephant. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, for sure.
1: But you asked me how I was doing, and um, I'm super nervous, and I feel like you can tell. Like, I feel like my heart is pounding out of my chest um, just talking to you. Um, I have been listening to your podcast for a while now. I think I used to listen to it a lot in 2018 and 2019 when I had to commute for work. And then COVID happened and commuting didn't happen. So podcast time just kind of got lost. Um, But I've been picking it back up now and it's just been such a source of comfort and care for me, Um, especially right now as I feel very isolated from the world. Um, It's still like the source of like connection to really listen to other people and listen to other lives. So I really just appreciate the space and Hopefully my nerves will melt as we continue the conversation.
0: I'm going to go ahead and tell you what. I wouldn't have guessed you were nervous at all. You're crushing it. You're coming off cool and confident. You got nothing to worry about. Good to go.
1: Awesome, because like I was I had to take my Apple Watch off because it was like high heart rate, and I was like, okay, I can't look at this, and then get like nervous about that too. Um,
0: I have to tell you,
1: but yeah, I've-
0: <laughs> listen, I I want to tell you that I appreciate it, and and I'm very flattered to hear all that, but also, if like knowing who I am, the idea that talking to me is making your heart rate rise, I'm like, well, God bless you, you're making me feel young again because I am. <laughs> A legit forty two year old balding dad. Like there's this is
1: <laughs> I am fangirling though. I mean, okay, not fangirling because like I don't know if that's like the gender neutral that's not a gender neutral term. Like I would say like fan theming, like if that's if that's okay. Um because like yeah, no, I just really appreciate people who are putting um soul and connection within Spaces because I just feel like we're all just so disconnected and um there's just like a lot of appreciation for you and just your work
0: that's incredibly nice thank you so much
1: (laughs) yeah um but I I wanted to talk about a few things today and um also just to talk about like where I am at with life and how lost I feel and um yeah, just to like kind of like workshop some of these like thoughts that I've been sitting with and thoughts that I've been having over the past you know few months. Um, and yeah, that that's just like how I am coming into the space today.
0: Nice. Hit me with it. Tell me how you're doing. Tell me where you're at.
1: Yeah. So I feel like I'm constantly living in like liminal space because one, I'm immunocompromised and disabled. I'm 26, but I feel like my life really changed um, early, you no, know, late 2018. Um, this is actually like when I used to listen to your podcast a lot, so like it helped. Um, I got uh, bitten by a tick when I was out hiking, and um, it was never taken seriously by the doctors. And um, I was in and out of the hospital for a very long time, and. Uh, what I have right now, which is still being gaslit by a lot of doctors, is chronic Lyme disease. Um, and it's been very debilitating. And I feel like my life has completely turned like 180 from like who I used to be and what I wanted to do with my life. And um, constantly I feel like I'm having to navigate um, and work with the limitations of my body. And a lot of limitations that are currently coming up because of the pandemic. Um, I'm still very, you know, cautious that the world has sort of like moved on. And with that, I've lost a lot of people. I've lost a lot of friendships. Um, And I feel like I'm in the space of a lot of grief right now. So that's one thing that's happening among many others.
0: That's really intense. And stressful. And I also got to tell you, this, this undiagnosed Lyme disease thing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: this is a thing that's happening more than any of us know. That there, mm-hmm. I, you are far from the first person I've heard of who has yep. symptoms that doctors have trouble identifying, or they, or they say it's one thing and they start treating it as such and the treatments don't work, and it goes on and on for a while. And then it comes Mm -hmm. down to Lyme disease, which is a thing people think they know a lot about, but Mm -hmm. it it seems like the medical community can't quite get their finger on the pulse of this. And I've heard that it can really be a long-term thing and I'm really sorry you're dealing with it.
1: Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And it's true. And I think there are other aspects of this is just the fact that I'm also fat and there's a lot of medical fat phobia that I've had to navigate. So a lot of answers have then like, oh, you should just lose weight or, you know, that's the thing that's like really holding on to your health. But the thing is, um, before I got Lyme disease, I used to work with a personal trainer and I was um, also training um, in Krav Maga and I was like training to like level up and it was incredibly fit. And not that it really matters, like not that I have to really qualify myself by saying all of that, but the fact that I used to faint in classes right after I got sick and I had to crawl from like my bed to my bathroom should tell you that there's something really wrong with me. And the only thing, you know, that you're giving me advice for is to lose weight is not helpful at all. Um, So it's, it's just been like such a process of trying to get people to believe me and try to get people to see that, like, there is something really wrong um, and it it just makes me feel very alone in many ways. But also I'm very, I'm very grateful. I have an amazing partner and an amazing best friend who has been such like, like such supportive um, people for me and such like fierce advocates for me that I'm very grateful for them. But at the same time, I wish I had more um, people believing that, this is not just something i'm making up and this is not just something that's going to go away if i lose weight you know
0: these doctors who can't diagnose lyme disease out of the gate this is a bigger thing than we talk about i bet everybody listening is like i know somebody who that happened to can't get our finger on that one anyway i'm rambling we'll take a break we'll do some ads we'll be right back Thanks to all of our advertisers. Now let's get back to this phone call.
1: This is not just something I'm making up, and this is not just something that's going to go away if I lose weight, you know?
0: Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where I don't like hearing it because there is some element to which you would... I've been in situations where I feel very rushed by doctors or very much like... Mm -hmm they're at the end of a long day and they just kind of want things to be over with and they, they give the easy answer. And you sit here and you go, you know your body. And when you're saying like, no, I used to see mm-hmm. trainers and I used to, you know, do any number of things at my size and I understand my body and I can feel something's off. You, you, you hate to hear it. Even, even if someone were to, I, 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 you tell me, even if someone was to say, whatever's going on, we think that, you'd be in less pain if you dedicated some time to dropping a few pounds, or it could help, you know, if you're feeling joint issues rather than just going, mm-hmm. here's what it is. It's because of this. You sit here, you go, well, mm-hmm. maybe not. And it feels like you're rushing into that. And, and then to hear that it's Lyme disease, you must sit there and you must go, you MFers. I knew, it, I knew there was something deeper than that and you just decided to go, with the easy surface level thing. And it erodes trust, yeah. it erodes trust.
1: Yep, it definitely does. I mean, I think I have a lot of like trauma just from like the medical system. And I think it's for like a lot of different reasons. So like when I first got bit by the tick, I was like in and out of the hospital. I had the bullseye rash, which is like what you get um, when you're bit by the tick and granted that not every tick bite like results in Lyme disease. And um I did get the test, which was negative, but the Lyme disease test is super finicky. It doesn't, it's it's just like known by everybody that it's super finicky. They're like this, even in my test result, it was like, if this is negative, it doesn't mean that you don't have Lyme disease. Um, so yeah, so there's that. Um, and they never treated me. And um at that point, my family lived in India, and I actually was super fortunate that my mom um, flew in <laughs> to the U.S., uh, stayed with me for a month, and got medication. So I did get some medication for it, um, but that was only possible because we were able to get my mom in, and that still happened a lot later than it was, like, initially supposed to happen. So... You know, I'm grateful that that happened, but that's the length that we had to go to to like get any form of treatment, and that's not something everybody has access to. And even for us, like that was like a very big and a hard thing to do.
0: Let's talk about that. I want to. I want to get just some facts first. How old were you? Mm-hmm. How old were you when you came to the states? And what brought you to the states?
1: Yeah, so I moved to the U.S. when I was 18. Um, My extended family, so like my dad's mom and my aunt lived in the U.S. um, earlier. So like my aunt moved here in the 80s. My grandma moved here. And then um, they had sponsored us to get a green card, but it took us like 10 years or so. I mean, actually like way more than 10 years. So we got our green card mid-2015. Um, and at that point I was graduating from high school and thankfully, like I was very lucky. Like I was very lucky. I didn't have to go through like being an international student and that whole process of like getting the visa because my grandma was, had sponsored us. uh, We were able to get the green card and I moved here alone because, um, you know, rest of my family had a life (laughs) back home and, um, you know, I can go more into that soon because I have a pretty interesting uh, family, too.
0: Uh, We we would like to think in the United States. And I know for my family, you know, I knew my grandparents from Ireland and they immigrated. Mm -hmm. And we'd all like to think it's like, oh, you get to America and it's the land of opportunity and (laughs) it puts you on this fast track to a better life. And you'd like to think that's what happens. Then when I hear a story like yours of, well, I came here, I had extended family, but I wound up in a scary medical situation. And luckily we had enough finances and it was logistically possible to get my mom over here to help me go. That, That sounds a lot more like a real immigrant experience. And for a lot of people, they don't necessarily have a mom who has the yeah. means and the time and the logistics to get Exactly. Here.
1: Not a lot of people have that. Not a lot of people are able to travel. Like we're really lucky when it comes to the immigration system that we all have green cards. We don't have to wait for a visa. Right. Um, a lot of folks don't have the means. A lot of folks, um, you know, a lot of folks are from here. Um, they don't have people who are able to go to another country and get you medicine. Right. So Um, I feel very, very fortunate that that happened. And at the same time, it's really hard. And, you know, when I moved here, even though I had extended family, they lived in California, which is on the other side of the country from where I was at. So it's not like I really had people here either.
0: (laughs) Right. That's the other thing. You always hear about people who will visit the States. They'll come for vacation, holiday, and, Mm -hmm. uh, and you'll go, Oh, so what are your plans? You know, while you're in the States, you're like, Oh, well, we're in New York, so we're gonna see the Statue of Liberty. Then we think, well, probably just pop over, check out the Grand Canyon at some point. You go, Oh no, that's <laughs> that's oh, oh yeah. okay. You have a bullet, yeah. you have you have a, a bucket list of of American things you want to <laughs> see, and it's a bullet point list, and it's not totally how this country works. So huh? having having extended family on the West Coast when you're on the East Coast is about as useful yeah. as having your parents in India in a lot of ways.
1: Exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. And I feel like I've seen the, that portion of my family like maybe twice in the past like eight years. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, like, it, you know, I'm glad that they're here, but it's not like we also have that much of an interaction, right? Um, so so yeah, so that that was like a bit of the circumstances. Um, it, I grew up. In, I grew up in India in many different cities. We moved around a lot. And then uh, when I turned 18, I moved here. My dad, he um, ever since I was like nine years old, he um, worked in international humanitarian aid. So he lived in countries like Indonesia after the tsunami. Um, he was in Afghanistan for four years. Um, he lived in like South Sudan. Um, in a lot of different places um that's which, a list. hold on where
0: that's yeah. a a, <laughs> that's a list of places that at any given point in my lifetime have arguably been the most dangerous places you can go
1: yep mhm yep wow. yep that that's how I lived um my dad's a very fascinating person, and i that's been kind asked of a badass write huh? a book. Yeah. I've been asking him to write a book for a really long time and I need to make him do that now, now that he's not in a, uh, what the U S calls a conflict zone. Um, but I, I mean, it was, it was hard, like it was hard growing up. Um, you know, there were times when, um, this was like when he was in Afghanistan, like we knew that he was in a bunker. There was, there was bombing going on and we hadn't heard from him for like days and i'm 13 or 14 and just like crying in bed and trying to live my life as a 13 or 14 year old girl not knowing if my dad's like alive or not like um so it was a lot for my mom to raise me mostly as a single mom even though like you know my dad was definitely like he would call and like we would talk and all of that but um it was it was very interesting because my dad wasn't in the military, but he, you know, I feel like I had that experience of having a parent who is in the military.
0: That's really intense. That's an intense way to grow up. You hear about bombings and you're not hearing from your dad and you're going, This could be it. That's really intense.
1: Yep. yep. But I also do like want to note like, um, it's taught me a lot. Um, It's taught me a lot about the world. Um, It's taught me a lot about just war. Like I didn't have to live through war. There are a lot of people who do have to. And, you know, my dad did work in international humanitarian aid or whatever, but he necessarily wasn't always the good guy. Like that's what we, we like to say that the work that they're doing is really good, but it is a branch of a lot of, what the U.S. does, um, in terms of imperialism, in terms of, like, controlling the wealth and controlling the politics of many other countries, and this is something that my dad really has critiqued a lot, uh, in his work as well, especially as a brown man, um, you know, working for organizations from the West, like, um, there is, like, so much racism entrenched, like, within the system itself, and that him as a brown man, like, also sort of like enacting some, like really racist programming um, within these spaces of conflict.
0: This is a hell of a life you've lived. And this is a conversation you've had with your dad. You've said like, I appreciate what you do and I appreciate your intentions, yes. but you're also,
1: yeah,
0: you're also enabling a system that I, I fundamentally distrust. You've, you've said things like this to your yeah. dad. How does he yes, react? Yes, we
1: have conversations
0: and then because he, he turns around. He's it. like, he's like, I, I, uh, I would love to talk more about this, but I, I'm so sorry. I've been, uh, I've been busy traipsing through the South Sudan as as uh, it falls into disarray yeah. and people are fighting for scraps and yeah, power. Yeah, I mean, like he
1: agrees with it. He agrees with it. Like I need to give him a lot of credit. Like I think he's done a lot of work in understanding how he's been a part of that system, right? And he completely agrees with it. Um, I don't think that it's something that he disagrees with. Like he did see things happen and, um, you know, it's something that he's definitely reckoning with. And it's something I feel like I'm reckoning with too, because I'm a social worker. I got my master's in social work in May of 2022. So I'm reckoning with a lot of social work related things. And I know that you want to be a social worker. So, (laughs) yeah.
0: There's, yeah, that's been a development in my life. There's all sorts of moving parts in my life right now, for sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it sounds like you yeah. do you do on some level, right? Like your dad, it sounds like your dad has rubbed off on you. I mean, to be a social worker certainly feels like it's in the lineage of, you know, you come from yep. a family where one of your parents was setting an example of like, oh, you drop what you're doing and you, you go to places that are dangerous to try to help people in need. So there's positives Mm -hmm. there?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, um, yeah, like my dog calls it the family business and he's been begging me to get out of it (laughs) because he's like, this is going to burn you out and you're going to be poor. And um, I get it. (laughs) Like, I get what you're talking about. Um, But at the same time, I don't think that that's an option. Wow.
0: Wow. So you have no family immediately accessible. Everybody's either on the West Coast or in India. Or has that changed? So
1: actually, yes, that changed. That actually, thankfully, changed just before COVID started. Um, My parents moved to the U.S. Um, We lived together for a while during the pandemic. And um, then I sort of had to move out and um for reasons um and um I I actually moved to New York City and I got my master's in social work and now I'm back at um, the place like where my parents are at, but we don't live together. Um but but, like, weirdly enough, I'm actually visiting I'm visiting them today, so I'm taking this call from there. Oh, nice.
0: So you don't live in New York City anymore. <laughs> you came to New York City.
1: I do not. I had to move. That ruined my mental health and my physical health.
0: <laughs> moving or being in New York City. That could being go either in way
1: New York city. yeah, that
0: city could crush <laughs> you. I love York it to <laughs> death. Love that city. <laughs> And so my final days, but I also, it can, it can, it can drain you. I I do have to ask. Mm -hmm. So again, you're 26 now, you moved here, Mm -hmm. you you moved here. uh, The information has been flying quick, around when you were 18, it sounds like. Correct. So you've been, you spent 18 years in India, eight years in the States. Mm Mm-hmm. What's your connection to Indian culture in the United States, which is becoming, Ooh. which is, I would say, even in the last few years, I have noticed, like there's, there's now like, I know where I live now, there there's like, they did a big ranking in the paper out here in Jersey, the, all the best Indian mm-hmm. restaurants, like top 25 Indian restaurants in New Jersey. Mm-hmm which Indian restaurants have certainly always been in New Jersey, but I feel like that's a much more mainstream treatment of Indian food, for example, than when I was growing up. It would have felt more fringe. And being in New York too, part of why I'm asking is, uh, I lived uh, like a block from Little India in Queens, and I wonder if you ever went out there. Jackson Heights.
1: I have. I love Jackson Heights. Um, Love the food. Miss Jackson Heights. Um,
0: what what were sure. your spots? What were your spots? We've probably eaten at some of the same restaurants.
1: So, I mean, probably yes, but also because of the pandemic and me just being like high risk, like I have only gone there like a couple times. Mm-hmm. So I don't even like really fully remember it, but like I loved whatever I ate there.
0: <laughs> That's fair. There is a place called yeah. Samudra that I love. There was a place okay. called Angel that opened up shortly before we left that was ridiculous ridiculous and they had a vegetable what kind of
1: food was it what did they have
0: angel had a veggie i'm gonna first of all i'm now gonna start naming indian foods to someone who grew up (laughs) in india i'm gonna slaughter the pronunciation of everything because i'm a cheesy white dude who all i can do is try i fell in love because i'll tell you what because i my wife's a vegetarian i was not a vegetarian when we (laughs) got together I started giving up meat slowly but surely. Living in Jackson Heights next to all these insanely good Indian restaurants, whoo, did it become easy mm-hmm. to become a vegetarian. Because Angel, first of all, their veggie vegetable biryani was mm-hmm. amazing. It comes with like they bake it in a with the bread top and you rip it open. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Samudra was where I learned about my favorite food that I've said. If you could give me one final meal, if I had to pick a final meal right now, it would be paneer makhni. It's paneer makhni. Yes. Oh yes! Oh goodness! And then <laughs> so what's good. the one? What's the? What's the one with the peas? Is that mutter paneer?
1: And mutter paneer. <laughs> yeah. Mutter paneer. Paneer. paneer.
0: Oh, get mm-hmm. out of here! Oh, I want Indian food <laughs> so bad tonight.
1: <laughs> you should get some. Yes.
0: Ooh, I'm gonna pause right there. I'm gonna tell you what. I got a show in Brooklyn tonight. I'm gonna leave a little early. I'm gonna find some Indian food. Treat myself. Whew, can't wait. Okay, now that I've paused just to tell you my dinner order, <laughs> let's go ahead and get the ads out of the way. All right, that's it. That's all the ads, everybody. All we got left now is more phone call. Let's finish it. You should get
1: some,
0: yes. What is Makani? If there's anybody there, am I pronouncing it? Is it Makani Makni, right?
1: Uh, Makni.
0: Paneer makhni is just cheese. Yeah. it's cubes of cheese yeah, floating in a sauce. That I don't even. Un- it's like
1: butter. <laughs> like makhan means butter.
0: They say it's so, like yeah. tomato sauce. It it does not taste like tomato sauce. It tastes like heavy cream and butter. Yep. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and tomatoes. Oh, slight, like, <laughs> but not like, not like a you know when you grow up in the states, you hear tomato sauce and you think. Like marinara sauce that you throw on pasta. I grew up in Jersey, North Jersey. It is not that. But Mm -mm. good God almighty. (laughs) I'm eating Indian food tonight. I got a show in the city. I'm going to go early so I can eat Indian food.
1: I like deeply, deeply love all the foods. And um, I mean, unfortunately, I feel like y'all are missing out on a lot of like the really good food. Like I feel like there's only representation of like North Indian food or like very specific restaurant food that it's not like we don't cook that every day at home so I feel like you're missing out on a lot of the foods from different parts of India which are also like equally delicious um, and you know like all the food that my mom makes it's, it's amazing and I feel like I know you asked me about just like my relationship with Indian culture here and I think that that's a very complicated one Um, but I think like food is definitely something that really helps me tie to my culture uh, a lot
0: and when you when you come over at 18 I'll also say this and I will say this is going to tread Mm -hmm. on a dangerous statement and I want to make sure that I'm calling that out well I'm just going to say uh, you clearly grew up practicing English from a young age because mm-hmm. y- you could tell me that you moved here when you were two and I would have no <laughs> idea. You moved here, you yeah. were 18. So clearly you were learning English from a young age. And I want to say, I know that there's some warning signs and I'm not trying to be xenophobic at all and saying like, oh, your English is very mm-hmm. good. That's not what I'm saying. But what I yeah, the, yeah. Reason, the reason I mention it is because to move here at 18 and to yeah. to have an accent where you could be fully assimilated from birth. No one knows that if they meet you on a street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's Indian restaurants to go to. Those might be second, third generation people here. And you might have just moved here six months ago. I find it very fascinating yeah. to know how all those puzzle pieces lock together. Because that's, yes. that's a more complex story than I think... I would have to imagine it's a more complex story than I know as an American who was born and grew up here.
1: Yeah, and actually there is. And a really big part of what I wanted to talk about is my accent like, and just how I've been sitting with that and the complexities that I have with relating to the Indian diaspora here and relating to folks back home. because. I feel completely ruthless, like R-O-O-T, rootless, um, mm-hmm. because I don't feel like I do have a home or any feeling of familiarity uh, with folks who grew up here or folks who are in India still. And a really big part of my accent is that when I moved here, I was alone. I was a really big extrovert. I... I've also been a really big people pleaser and I really just wanted to get to know people. And a lot of the folks that I was around uh, when I moved here were white and I had to constantly repeat myself and repeat um, what I was saying, um, repeat my name. So I, you know, it it came as a pretty natural process to Americanize the way I speak. Um, I mean yes, like I spoke English my whole life, but this obviously isn't the accent that I spoke with. Or actually I don't want to say obviously because there are some people who have like very interesting upbringings and you know, they do speak with different accents even when they are in other countries. But um I think like it naturally happened that I assimilated I assimilated and I sort of like diminished and distanced myself from who I was before. And I think I hold a lot of sadness about it right now. Um, I am kind of navigating like how I feel about it because I know people are like, you know, this, this has been celebrated. Like this has been celebrated that I assimilated, but I don't know if it's something to celebrate. Right. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I am just holding a lot of like sadness about that.
0: Well, it, it, it's, it's a thing that should not be celebrated in the sense that it should theoretically be neither here nor there. That mm-hmm. there are people who could yep. you know, whether it it applies to an accent or fashion or any number of mm-hmm. things that represent assimilation, it shouldn't affect people's treatment of others and no, how it does. But I, I have to imagine. It yeah. does and I have to imagine too that they're they're you tell me there are other Mm -hmm. people, there are other people who maybe their accents haven't reflected assimilation as much. Does Mm -hmm. that create any sort of barrier or line when you interact with other, I could imagine a situation where maybe you meet someone who lived in one of the cities you lived in growing up,
1: Yeah, but you've now
0: kind of grown at a different pace or in different directions in America. And are you able to, are you able to lock in and go, Oh, on some level we now remind each other of home or, do, or does it feel like more separation in a way i have no way. i'm not trying to lead it anywhere no. i'm just genuinely fascinated no
1: you're good and that's like such a fascinating thing to think about so so i work right now so as i said i've a background in social work i work at a domestic violence organization specifically working with asian and pacific islanders And a lot of folks who are my, I don't like to call people clients, but that's what we call in social work speak. Um, But like, you know, the folks that we work with, I I have a lot of folks who are from South Asia, uh, folks who moved here, like maybe very close to like when I moved here. And, you know, they all think that I grew up here. They all like, you know, say things like, oh you should know all of this because you grew up here blah 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 and I was like I actually didn't um and I'm also trying to navigate like I at least have some of the knowledge to like navigate the systems right um so I'm able to like support them with that but there are things like I don't know how to drive yet I'm actually learning how to do that right now because when I moved here I I've been living in cities and um I'm learning how to drive right now. And I feel like that's something that people are like, oh my gosh, you don't know how to drive. <laughs> like, And it was like, yeah, like I moved here when I was 18. We couldn't drive until we were 18 and I lived in cities for um, the past eight years and I didn't need to. Um, so it's, it's really, it's really interesting, but at the same time I do like, I can relate to them, right? Like I can relate to them on certain levels of like, you know, feeling really lost here or trying to just like understand um, and build community and build family here when you're all alone.
0: Yeah. Are there any, are there moments that jump out in that? Like, are there personal moments that jump out to you and your experience? Maybe even in, you know, the early days, especially I'd imagine that mm-hmm. can, that can kind of, explain some of that confusion or, or, or put a magnifying glass on it for a guy like me, who's just a dope, who was born in New Jersey and is probably going to die in New Jersey?
1: (laughs) Um, well, I'm thinking back and I, I think I'm, I was also 18, right? So like, I was so young and I think like in the past eight years, like I have aged so much, like, given like you know being being chronically ill like that's that's like one thing that's changed a lot i also just went through a lot mentally and um um you know i want to give a little trigger warning about um suicide and sexual assault and um you know i was raped in college and oh, wow. i also attempted to take my own life and um, you know, I live with chronic suicidal ideation. That's something that I do live with and I'm working with, working on and I care deeply about to like support folks who have similar situations. Um, but, okay, I went I went completely off of your question, but I do think that some of this like feel, I, I don't know how to explain it, but some of this feeling of really not belonging at all Um, not understanding how to, like I didn't understand how to like navigate the medical system, which is still like a source of pain for me, as I've mentioned, but like not knowing what a primary care was, not knowing how to get a therapist early on really pushed me to, um, you know, be in a very dark place and not know how to navigate some of these like complexities within the system. And also just trusting like the courts, to take care of some of the things that I had to deal with uh, was also in a way, like for me, a mistake. Like I wish I knew how courts here worked too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to be glib at all. Mm -hmm. To hear that I go, you know, the question's like, so what are, are there, you know, these feelings that you're maybe alone in it or there's some isolation to the experience and the levels to which people assimilate can divide them? how did how did that make you feel and you go oh i i think about killing myself I, chronically <laughs> like i go oh jeez oh jeez i get it i get it i'm not trying no. to i'm not trying to make a joke there's some dark humor in it though no no like,
1: but oh I love yeah it. I if you feel all the time.
0: if you feel totally alone in the world and like you're kind of wandering through a world where it's hard to nail down a sense of camaraderie with anyone because of your very specific life experience yeah i get it i get it I get it. I'm also, I got to have to say too, you are a social worker. I'm someone who's thought about going into it. And I've had my own Mm
1: -hmm. struggles with
0: suicidal thoughts many times over the years. I go,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I I have to imagine there's, there's gotta be ways they teach you self care Mm and becoming a social worker because for people like us who think about it, and now you're signing up for Mm -hmm. a job where you're looking, I mean, you said you work specifically right now in the, API community, which has been facing so mm-hmm. much, I go, Ooh, and you sign up yep. for a job where you face down horrible things that people deal yeah. with all yeah. the
1: time. I, I have to say like my social work training was really disappointing. Um, okay. I feel like I've learned a lot more from people with lived experience, um, people in peer support spaces, um, and folks who like genuinely want to create spaces for connection and don't just want to medicalize you and put you away in the psych ward. I feel like I've learned a lot more about empathy from interactions with people and, um, to really try to do better for each other than in the textbooks or then in my training at school. I think the training at school is like not great in many ways and kind of harmful at worst. Mm. Um, so I really struggled with some of my social work teachings and learnings, and I know that that's probably um, not the most like popular opinion within social workers. But I I feel like a lot of people with lived experience, especially folks who are minoritized, are you know oppressed by systems in many different ways. Um, you know, don't don't trust us. Don't trust social workers, and I think that there is a good reason for that.
0: It's another sobering answer. <laughs> another sobering answer. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, as I talk to you more and more, sit here, I go from growing up with your your dad who was leaving a lot and in, in extreme situations, which that creates a sense of loneliness, I'm sure, right? Like a family mm-hmm. unit where one person's opting into. I'm sure that psychologically it can't be easy when you go, my father keeps splitting and facing <laughs> down death. Why is that the choice? I'm sure, you know, that creates a, yeah. the experience of immigrating at 18...
1: And I'm an only child. I don't have siblings. I feel like there that's another go. thing that's been a big thing for me. I really wish I had siblings to see my parents' age. Um, you know, my parents are a little older than, or at least, like, I think, like, in the U.S. it's normal. But, like, in India, like, I feel like my parents were, like, the older parents of, like, my classmates. Um, and they also have, like, a lot of health issues. So just, you know, at this and point, like... Add that to the I, list? Like,
0: You're an only yeah. child? <laughs> You immigrate young. We've talked about the complexities of assimilating and how that can create loneliness. Medical traumas that create Mm -hmm. a sense of loneliness, a a lack of people who can support and care. I mean, luckily your mother managed to make it over. But Mm -hmm. I I feel like here's what I'm picking up from you is that your life has, and I'm not trying, listen, I'm not trying to sum it all up in a uh, nice, simple sentence. Oh, no, you're
1: good. People are complex.
0: But I feel like your life has been marked by some experiences that encourage or foster a regrettable extreme of feeling like you're in it alone. But it's mm-hmm. it's given you a pretty remarkable ability to just tell the truth in simple ways. Like for yeah. you to just turn around and be able to go, oh yeah, sometimes I feel so lonely that I've, you know, suicidal thoughts are chronic my school system my schooling system wasn't cool and here's why my father Mm -hmm. is a guy who does admirable stuff but under the umbrella of a whole lot of problematic westernization and 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 sort of Mm -hmm. you didn't use this phrase but this sort of weird right like Yes, yeah. West, Western countries with this weird modern quasi colonization attitude with some of the efforts to help, yep. you really have a remarkable ability to go, "Here's the fucked up truth that I see and i I feel like maybe yeah. maybe the loneliness and all those sides of it do give you that as sort of a superpower at the end of the day
1: yeah and i and I do agree like. And I think the one thing that I I really just want to be there for people like that's just my life goal is to be in the lives of people and just like, like bear witness to the amazing things that people do and be supportive, um, you know, do like I want to have experiences like right now very specifically so I'm I'm an artist too, I paint. And I use art, um, you know, as a form of healing. And I've done a lot of um, a lot of workshops specifically for survivors around how to use art um, in their healing practices. So, you know, there's a lot of like artistic practices that I want to learn. I do want to do a lot of writing and things like that. But I'm just, you know, stuck with the limitations of my body right now. So that's my main goal is to try to make sure that my medical side of things are taken care of so that I'm able to deepen some of this. And what I in the end really want to do is just be a part of people's lives. And um, you know, that's why I appreciate this podcast so much is because I really get a glimpse into this like really vulnerable and real part of people's lives. And um yeah, I I just like, yeah, I, I don't know how else to sum it up, but that that's what
0: I wanted to say, so I leave it there. It's really, it's. Uh, I'm sure you know, it's a really unique story, which doesn't do anything to make you feel less alone in it. But it, it <laughs> I certainly get but why you really But I imagine. <laughs> I imagine. Well, I have to imagine. Like, I'm, I'm sitting here going. If you could change any aspect, I mean, I, I would imagine the tick bite is one thing that you'd just go, fuck that. Yes. I don't need that. <laughs> Let's get that. Yeah. If we could slice away all the medical nonsense. Who wants to immigrate to America to deal with the American healthcare system? It's the last <laughs> reason anyone enters this country. There's all sorts of people I go, who, there's people who go, I might be able to make money, build a better future for myself and my family. Sure. You know, people go, I come from a place that is war torn or oppressive and maybe there'll be breathing room there, maybe not. Who oh, no, knows? Sure. Nobody's going, I can't wait to get to the United States so I can deal with their medical system. Nobody's <laughs> saying that. Nobody said that. Nope. <laughs> but, are there, are yeah. there any other aspects that you would do differently or that you'd adjust? Whether that's how you mm. you know, your parents' lifestyle, the timing of things and when you chose to do them?
1: Yeah. I mean, so my parents and I have a very interesting relationship. So, because my dad was away since I was nine, like we didn't live together until I was what 24. When the like when did the pandemic even start? It's it feels like forever. But yeah, I think I was 24 or 23 when it started, and so we started living together just before COVID, and we spent a shit ton of time together after I've been so independent, like for most of my life. Um, and also like, I I love, I love my mom so, so deeply. And she had had to deal with a lot of shit because, so she basically raised me and she also had three older people. So I had two, both my grandmoms, uh, my dad's mom and my mom's mom, and one of my grandmom's sister also living with us as we were growing up, as I was growing up. Um, and they had very specific medical needs, So my mom, like, you know, had her hands full with that. So, um, um, yeah, so all I'm trying to say is that, like there wasn't a lot of parenting that necessarily happened when I was younger. and um, it's not their fault. Like, I don't blame them for that at all, but, I've had to figure out a lot of things on my own from a very young age and had to move here alone and figure a lot of things out here as well. And I do appreciate like they've definitely done things for me, like literally my mom came here with medicine. Like that's that's like such a big thing. Um, But I feel like there was a lot more like they wanted to parent me at the ripe age of 23, which just felt not like supportive for me in many ways and when I was trying to draw boundaries and figure things out with them it didn't go very well so we're still healing our relationship um because I also started dating my partner around the same time and um, my parents were not very happy about it um mostly because like um Well, okay. So this is like, again, like this is not the experience of all Indians. Like this is absolutely not. My parents are a little more conservative. Um, So they believe in arranged marriages and they wanted that to happen for me. They weren't really happy that I was dating at all. And um, so that wasn't something that they were like, you know, happy about. (laughs) So I, it, it took a really long time for them to start you know, being okay with it. And I mean, you know, this is my one partner who I'm finally in a healthy relationship. This is one partner I was like, yes, I'm introducing them to my parents. Um, You know, this is not like, this is a relationship that I know is like very deep. And I mean, I I don't fully like believe in the institution of marriage, but um, I know like I'm here to like build a life with this person and somewhere the other. Um so it was it was really hard to get that rejection, um, you know, from my family and um, having to navigate that over, you know, like living with them and figuring out my relationship with this person and all of that.
0: <laughs> you got no shortage of things to talk about.
1: <laughs> I do like, okay, this is going in a totally different direction. Um, But at some point, like I can, I can pump the brakes on this right now. Like we can come back to this, but I do want to note something about just like Indian culture and the caste system. um, Because like, I think there is, um, it, it is important in this like conversation as I'm talking about India, Indian culture and Indian diaspora. So I would love to come back to that. But if you had any questions about the partner thing, I will, I will leave it at that for you right
0: now. <laughs> I guess I'm just left feeling, because like, we've got nine minutes left. Oh uh, no,
1: okay. wow. Yeah, I
0: know. <laughs> I could talk to you all all day. But I guess I'm just left feeling like, so many things that you've described about your life experience, whether it's cultural things like your parents' view on dating, circumstantial things that broke in a awful direction like dealing with medical issues feels like your first 26 years you have a a, you have a very positive spirit but it feels like there's been a bunch of things that you've had to push through yeah a bunch of things that feel like i hate
1: that (laughs) yeah
0: i hate it too i'm so mad (laughs) i was gonna ask i be
1: happy
0: i was gonna ask like is it starting to just feel like this is your life or are are you fighting to a place where you go i want it to feel like it's I want to feel like I'm on flat ground instead of uphill. Or I want to maybe feel like things go downhill and get easy for me after all these years once in a while.
1: Yeah.
0: I want to know where you're at as far as what you're building towards in goals. Not just professionally or even personally, mm-hmm. but more in the, that overall sense of what do we have to do to get it where you're not just pushing through stuff to try to get somewhere.
1: yeah. I have to take that deep breath because there's heaviness in my chest. Um, And I think it's just because I I don't know, Chris. Like, I really don't know where I'm headed because things are bad for a lot of people right now too. And I'm witnessing it, right? Um, And as I said, like, I think for me, the most important thing is just to be able to be a part of people's life and to be able to do you know, things that I feel truly grounded and nourished by. I think one of them was talking on this podcast, which is a bucket list thing. So yay. Uh, thank you for making space for me here. Um
0: happy to like, do you know, it, but I, I don't know it's that it's kind of gonna have... solve any long term problems. <laughs> I, know I know it's not. I know
1: it's not. But I think like that's the thing. Like I think solving a lot of long-term problems, a what a lot of what I'm dealing with is not just something I alone am dealing with. I'm seeing a lot of people having mirrored experiences. A lot of people are feeling really lonely. A lot of people like, yes, maybe they didn't have the very specific life that I do, but like people also have very specific hard lives, right? So for me, it's really important for us to be able to connect and to create a world where we're able to like work through some of this shit. Um, A lot of the issues that I'm dealing with are structural and systemic issues that need to be fought for. Like we need to fight for a better healthcare system. We need to fight to like dismantle what we call the medical industrial complex, like we need to fight to dismantle that we need to, you know, find better ways to care for each other. And we need to, um, you know, just find better ways to be in community with each other. Um, yeah, like, that's just how I'm feeling. Because even today, like, um, the, the shooting happened over this weekend during Lunar New Year at, um, um, oh my gosh, Monterey Park and Half Moon Bay, which is like, you know, a lot of like Asian folks um, were killed, and something that we were talking about at work um, was just how a lot of our struggles are actually connected to each other, and we can't look at issues in silos. So, like, even though I'm talking about myself right now, a lot of the things that I'm dealing with are things that our society deals with in general, and there is like such a need for us to like come together and um, Yeah, I don't know, like, I don't know where I'm going with this, but like, I have this like, drive on some days, Um, on a lot of days, I'm very depressed, obviously, like, thankfully, today is not one of those days. Um, But on, on a lot of days, I have this drive to fight, and I have this drive to fight with others to fight and build with others and imagine futures, which are better for everybody.
0: I feel like you might be the type of person that could pull it off. I I used to have that know. fight in my guts. Now I'm tired. That I I used I to know. think I could actually box some things out that would make the world better. And now you're now you're 26 and you're young and you're doing it. And I have a feeling yeah, you mean, might like, be the I'm type of person who can.
1: You. I'm definitely very tired too, but you know I think it's just about thinking about like how it's not just on me, it's it's not just on certain people, it's, it's on a lot of us. So like, just knowing, you know, in a weird way, even though I feel so lonely, I still feel very connected, knowing that this is not just a thing that I'm only going through. Yeah, no
0: way, no way. And I think the world is built right now to convince everybody that they're going through stuff alone.
1: Because Capitalism, baby.
0: <laughs> once, 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 once we all realize that everybody feels lonely, and it's sort of how the infrastructure of our lives is built, we're going to start pushing back. And it's going to—that's—that's that's what could change things. Yeah. That's my guess. Yep. That's my
1: theory. <laughs> I know it's—it's it's hard though. I feel like it's. You know, I, I can talk about this today, but then tomorrow can be really hard. And um, sometimes, you know, as I said, I do live with chronic, like, suicidal ideation. So it, it, on some days when I have that fight, I will try my best. And then on the other days, I'm just going to be kind to myself and try to just make it through the day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that sort of sums up life, especially for a lot of young people right now, that in Mm -hmm. one breath you can go, I feel like I was put here to fight against systems that are in place that are keeping us down. It's not just me. I have to do my part to help break a system that's oppressing everybody. And then in the very next breath to go, I just kind of want to make it through the day. I feel like that's, yeah. that's where a lot of young people, like that's where we've put our younger generations right now. That's where we've put yeah. people in their 20s, people in college, people in high school. We all have to s- draw some lines of fight back against the bullshit. But I, just hold on, everybody. Before we do that, I need to go lay <laughs> down in the corner and just get through the next few hours personally. So leave me alone. Yeah. It's, it's I a, mean that's how whiplash. I
1: work too. Like I just take naps. Like naps really help a lot <laughs> and then there are days when I just put in sick leave and I'm just like I, I and also like I need it because of like all of my medical issues like I need to yeah. make sure I'm pacing myself. So um yeah, I I don't have answers but I hope like we can get answers together and I think like the just the big thing is for us to connect and uh, yeah that that's about it. That's my goal is to be able to connect on a deeper level with folks and just be in people's
0: lives. We've only got a minute and 20 seconds left. Can I ask you a question that is Ooh. admittedly dumb? We just hit this emotional yes, tenor. it's in this, okay, go ahead. If the bell <laughs> rang right now, I'd be like perfect ending as you talk about changing the world, but self-care at the same time. We got a minute left. Let me ask you this. When you, uh-huh. you mentioned that you moved here and we talked about your accent and how it affects the immigrant experience of people when you when you go okay i'm i'm going to americanize my accent do you sit down and go i'm going to pick a certain type of accent or i'm going to watch a oh, certain I didn't tv know. show
1: I didn't know what they the, they were types of accents other than like a southern accent. People yeah. say I sound like a valley girl. Do I? I There's don't know.
0: California in there for sure.
1: There's California. What in there. what
0: movies? Okay. What TV were you watching when you first moved here?
1: I don't know. Like I was watching English shows like back in India too. Like we had all the Disney Channel shows, like mm-hmm. so I guess like Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. That was one. <laughs> but they were in Boston. I don't know.
0: There's no Boston in your accent. None.
1: <laughs> There's no Boston, no.
0: <laughs> wow. I got to thank you for calling. This was uh, a fascinating call. You had no shortage of things to say. At times I was rolling with the punches because I was never sure what you were going to say next, but all of it was good. You never should have been nervous because you crushed it. And I find myself <laughs> leaving very fascinated by your story and inspired by your potential.
1: Thank you so much, Chris. And good luck to everything with you. And I hope you get to have more snow days with your son and have just like a really wonderful time.
0: Thanks. I hope you figure everything out for yourself. And that clears the <laughs> path for you to clear the way for the rest of us. Because I think you might... Maybe... We're
1: all doing it together though. So yeah. and No, it's not all on you. It's not all on you. <laughs> Yes, I know that. I'm not
0: trying to put all the pressure on you, but get to work, please. My son needs you.
1: (laughs) Yes. All right, then thank you so much, Chris.
0: Caller, so sincerely, thank you. What a fascinating call. I'm rooting for you, and I got a good feeling about you. This show is produced by Anita Flores. It's engineered by Jared O'Connell. Our theme song is by Shell Shag. Go to chrisgeth.com if you want to know more about me, including live tour dates. And hey, wherever you're listening, subscribe, favorite, follow. That button exists. You know it helps us so much when you hit that button, so think about doing so. You can find our merch at podswag.com. You can also find ad-free episodes of Beautiful Anonymous at Stitcher Premium. Use the promo code STORIES for a one-month free trial at stitcher.com slash premium. And if you like this podcast, the number one way you can help us tell a friend about it, word of mouth goes a long way. Thanks, everybody.